0: Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the fifth podcast of the series Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente who wrote the book which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Ares has left Cancer's realm and he's tufted out through no man's land and has now arrived in the realm of Leo who is another fire sign. Being of the same element, these two signs have the astrological configuration known as a trine. And I'll be talking to Marion about that later on in the podcast. Hello, Marion. Hi, Pommy. We've arrived at chapter five, the land of Leo. (laughs) (laughs) And sunshine. (laughs) Leo and sunshine. We like that, don't we? I'll be bringing us up to date with the story so far. But before that, I want to ask you a few things. I've noticed that you have shown Leo as being king of the plains. And that he, as a ruler, Aries is not only curious about, but impressed with before he meets him. So tell us all about Leo. Well,
1: as we know, the symbol of Leo is the lion, and it's the domain of the sun, and the sun is symbolic of power and vitality. And where the moon is the mother figure, as we explained in the last podcast, so the sun is the father figure. And the energy of the sun and Leo is yang, And Leo's element is fire, obviously. And it's the fifth sign, so it begins mid-July to mid-August. And following a cardinal sign, it has a fixed quality. It's associated with supremacy and leadership, of organising that which has been established and recognised and nurtured. Physically, the heart and spine are attributed to Leo. And when expressed positively, the spirit of Leo, it's ambitious, it's creative, it's generous, loyal, dignified and affectionate. But if used negatively, it can be controlling, conceited, pompous, boastful, melodramatic and in extremes, tyrannical. Uh, Leo's domain of the plains seems vast and impressive to Aries. And Kant has given the ram an exciting view of Leo beforehand in that the lion has a diversity of subjects in his realm to protect and rule like a king. And plains suggest expansiveness, don't they? You know, lots of land and sky and sun. And always we picture lions on plains in control of their territory. Leo, he also, he likes to hold court and entertain and Aries' view of
0: rulership is expanded in this realm. All right, thank you for that. So let's bring us up to date with what's happened so far. Having escaped the crater with no memory of his past, Aries first encountered Taurus, where he comes to appreciate his senses and the beauty of his world. Also that the birds are the messengers across the realms. He travels on to meet the Gemini twins in their forest, who fuel his curiosity about his immediate environment and the realms to the west, known as the Collective. The twins tell him about an evil shrike that had made mischief among the bird communities, causing chaos with their messages for its own gain. They believe the shrike was killed during a storm, which also gave light to a black pearl. Surmising the pearl was stolen by the shrike from their neighbour, Cancer, they devised a plan to secretly return it to her, using an unwitting Ares to do so. When Cancer discovers the pearl, she knows it's not from her collections and experiences nightmares while it's in her possession. She decides to send it on with Ares, again secretly, making a pouch and hiding it under the fleece around his neck while he sleeps. Unaware he carries the pearl, he takes his leave of Cancer's realm, where he'd learnt more about intuition and the sensitivity to the feelings of others. But he has to cross no man's land of swamps and desert, before reaching the uplands of Leo, the renowned flamboyant king of the plains. And in this chapter, we find there is further intrigue regarding the pearl.
1: Kindred spirits. The sun was now high, he had stumbled for hours through the long dry grasses before finding water. At first he thought he was hallucinating, dazzled by the glistening surface. He plunged his face into the liquid image, fearing it was yet another mirage. It was deliciously wet. The water was clear and he could see the pool's sandy bottom. Shoals of small fish darted between the shoots of a large reed bed spreading from the far side. He had learned in no man's land not to drink greedily, but foremost to check for signs of poison. Taking one deep gulp, he came up for air. He was feeling lucky. Surveying his surroundings, he was glad that the pool's parameters were not littered with 'er ne'er-do-wells, just a small flock of wildfowl wading among the reeds. Shade was all Ares could think of as a few joyous leaps through the pool brought him to the opposite bank with a big splash. The wildfowl screeched in protest as he waded past but they didn't depart. Feeling tired but happy again he left the water and found a shaded place to lie behind the reeds. As he slept birds of prey began circling above hoping he would soon be carrion. The vultures attracted the attention of a pack of jackals who'd been roaming the plains, trying to incite a rebellion against Leo. They had been banished to no man's land for unlawful hunting, stealing and other crimes against the inhabitants of the lion's domain. Careless about trespassing, they headed towards the reeds, hoping to find a ready meal there. Ares had been enjoying his slumber when a sense of being watched roused him. Sleepily, he opened an eye, then instantly shut it tight. His mind reeled. Fear gripped his stomach. He could feel their breath on his back and face as several pairs of fangs slavered over him. Frantically gathering his wits, he tried to form a plan of action, flight most upper in his mind. Fortunately for the ram, one other had spotted the vultures circling, and curiosity had bid him to the scene. The winged scavengers swiftly departed on his approach, alerting the outlaws of the danger. No longer so brave, they quietly dispersed, two of their number skulking away through the long grasses, but three remained, lurking beyond the reeds out of view from the pool. Surprised at being abruptly deserted, Ares stood to make a run for it, but an instinct warned him to stay. He peered carefully through the reeds and spotted something moving in the middle distance. The lion crept forward with stealth and purpose. His tawny coat merged with the parched grasses, providing him with good camouflage as he edged towards the pool, tracking a wisp of air that carried scent of the three despots, who now plotted an ambush. Inching closer, his limbs stiffened as his muscles coiled to spring, but a split second before he leapt, one of the gang lost their nerve and broke cover to run. "'Game on!' roared Leo, pouncing as the jackal made to escape and startling the wildfowl, who flew squawking into the blue. The lion's rage was ferocious, and being no match for his speed and strength, the outlaw's days were swiftly ended. Leo gave a mighty roar, causing the two still in hiding to rapidly steal away. But the triumphant sound had thrilled Ares to his bones, fixing him to the spot.' There could be no mistake. At last, he had an audience with the king. Leo sauntered to the water's edge. Time for a drink and a nap, he mumbled audibly. After intense bursts of energy, Leo invariably rewarded himself with a drink and a nap. Lapping heartily until his thirst was slaked, he checked his reflection in the water and preened, admiring the luxurious mane which crowned his strong, noble features. He was proud of his mane, his pride being born of his high regard for the finest that life could offer, and his mane was the finest. His sense of pride also meant that he put heart into everything he did, doing nothing in half measure. He could turn a crisis into a drama with the flick of his tail, but just as easily take total command and restore order. He was either hugely magnanimous, taking the greatest of pleasure in the smallest of things, or the most terrible of tyrants with those who flaunted his law, as Ares had just witnessed. He watched transfixed, full of admiration and keen to meet this sovereign of great renown, who now lay a short distance away, resting his head on his paws. Impetuous as ever, Aries shook his fleece and abruptly left the cover of the reeds to present himself. Oh, that was a brilliant leap, just brilliant. I'm the best at leaping too. Let's have a contest. His challenge was friendly and enthusiastic. He wanted to impress and be approved. Leo raised his head and blinked at the image before him, doubting both his eyes and his ears. What was this? A contest? what preposterous audacity! Standing before him was some straggler from that rabble he'd just dealt with, actually challenging him to a leaping contest. Unbelievable! How very novel! Entertaining thoughts of leaping all over this arrogant loser, he tossed back his head and roared with laughter. He could justify making a meal of this one, Oh yes, he would certainly take him home for dinner. Life was indeed bountiful. Bless the breeze! He chortled, gathering his composure. Pray tell, my dear, are there others like you in these parts? He wondered if Ares was alone, or whether more of that sorry gang was still in hiding, hoping to pull off an ambush. Ares was crestfallen. "'insulted at being laughed at "'and compelled to redeem his injured pride. "'Watch this!' he challenged, "'springing over Leo, "'making a madcap sprint towards an outcrop of rocks. "'Though startled by the sudden move, "'Leo's reflexes had him up in a trice. "'He wasn't about to let this despot escape. "'He stood poised for a beat. "'It crossed his mind that this might be a trap. pa, Bring it on!' he growled. "'I'll bag the lot of them!' And leaping into lightning chase covered the ground in less than half the time, clearing the rocks only seconds behind Ares, he sat down a few feet ahead, instantly turning to claim the winner's prize. But fate had smiled on the ram yet again, in his haste, he'd misjudged the distance to cover and had jumped too soon. Not quite clearing the rocks, he had stumbled and toppling down on the other side had landed heavily on an old boar who had just lain down to die. The beast let out a groan as it expired under the impact. "'It was too slow and I'm too fast,' boasted the ram, thinking quickly, giving the impression that he'd actually bagged it. Suitably impressed, Leo congratulated him. He recognised this boar as a vicious creature who had caused much trouble and had been marked for banishment long since. However, the great pig had proved difficult to tackle even by the most experienced of hunters, always managing to avoid capture. "Mm, This is a strange turn of events, he thought. Instead of an ambush, he found that he had been effortlessly rid of an old enemy. Perhaps this challenger wasn't an outlaw after all but he had to be sure and would question further before granting him leave to remain on the plains. He led them back to the waterhole and took another drink. Aerie's back and knees had been bruised in the fall, but pride prevented him from acknowledging the hurts. Plus, he was pleased to find himself in Leo's good books. For the first time on his journey, he quietly contemplated the situation. He had enjoyed his encounters with Taurus, Gemini and Cancer. Different experiences in their realms had given him more knowledge about the world and his responses to it. Through meeting them, his perspective had grown. But there was something in the fiery competitive quality of Leo that he recognised as more akin to himself. At this point on his journey, he felt the need of companionship and began to consider the impression he was making. He wanted Leo's admiration, but more his friendship. Reflecting on his initial introduction of himself, he reluctantly accepted that in no way could he win a leaping contest against such a formidable opponent. However, needing some advantage, for Ares was fiercely competitive, he decided to use a different tack. He would draw on his experience employ the qualities he had gained during his travels through the other realms. Leo finished drinking and gestured for him to sit. Ares remained standing to speak. There can be no doubt that you are Leo, sovereign of this realm and king of the plains. I have heard great things about you on my travels and am honoured to finally meet you. He gave a nod of respect. I am Ares... Survivor of earthquakes, adventurer and explorer, fighter of bulls, conqueror of the skies, swamps and the desert, hunter of boar and more besides. Such a notable list of accomplishments was bound to impress. He sat down. Indeed, responded Leo, suitably flattered by the opening address and pricking his ears to the claims of bravado. Raising an eyebrow, he looked the ram up and down, still unsure what game he was playing. He had heard rumours of a feisty stranger abroad in no man's land, asking questions, wanting to meet him, but this was nothing new. There was always someone seeking an audience, so he'd paid little heed. If they wanted to meet him, they'd find him. He was the king. Rumours implied that the stranger travelled alone. Perhaps this was he. Either way... If his claims were an outrageous boast, which Leo suspected they might be, they certainly had the makings of an amusing tale, and he must hear more. The lion greatly enjoyed a talent for storytelling, both in himself and others. "'Oh, it all sounds absolutely fascinating, my dear. You must tell me all,' he prompted, grinning widely. Ares was eager to begin.' He told his tale with great relish and embellishment. Leo's eyes widened in admiration. He found himself warming to this fellow, whose claims to bravery and endurance could be matched only by his own. Plus the amusing little details, the vivid descriptions of the realms he traversed, his knowledge of cancer and her trading, it all lent plausibility to Ares' credentials. Hmm, perhaps there is truth to his bragging, thought Leo. There is an Aries realm in the east, uh, and he had bagged that boar with little effort. Hmm. Leisurely stroking his chin with a foreclaw, Leo too reconsidered the situation. Yes, Ares could stay. This must be the traveller he'd heard rumour of, and he accepted that the ram was not party to any insurgents. There was no question that he could survive on the plains, and with his store of amusing tales, he would be an entertaining guest. Settled, he inquired about Airy's plans. "'And, um, where do you go from here, my dear?' "'I'm following the sun on my way to the peaks. <clears throat> I've important information for the collective.' Ares considered this to be true because, as Cancer had wisely pointed out, he would have a lot to tell them. "'Following the sun? mm, Most ambitious. And uh, business with the collective, you say? I see.' Hmm." Leo narrowed his eyes regarding Ares with more scrutiny. "'Important information,' he thought. This changed things slightly. He preferred to avoid unnecessary interest in his affairs from the collective realms.' one or two of them were squeamish about the hunt, disapproved of any gaming or trading close to no man's land. But Karls were sometimes necessary on the plains to maintain a balance in the domain, and he had recently bagged some good yields in this way. He knew there would be disapproval and was aware that they regularly had debates about what they considered to be his extravagant lifestyle. But what of it? Leo was nothing if not an autocrat who would do as he saw fit in his own realm, Of course, there were those of the collective realms who were only too delighted to attend his banquets. Indeed, they expected invites to his extravaganzas when lavish feasts and entertainments were laid on for days at a time. Quite. As far as the lion was concerned, consideration of collective wishes was one thing. Unerring compliance was quite the other. Effective leadership in his domain often demanded unpleasant decisions to maintain order. There were many predators and scavengers, outlaws from no man's land stalking the plains. Although Leo reigned supreme, there were those abroad not so noble minded who continually plotted to make a free for all. If they had their way, they would abolish the pecking order and anarchy would reign. The plains would run with blood. If he didn't make bold of his prowess and authority, if he was less flamboyant, those wannabes might succeed in a coup. And how would the deer fare then, my dears? Leo was a strong ruler, and though sometimes given to excesses of will, he was a steadfast and an extremely loyal friend. In the matter of Ares, since the ram said he had business with the collective, who, he surmised, must surely have received some intelligence that he'd reached the plains, Leo now decided it was his sovereign duty to make doubly sure of avoiding any unpleasant incidents, thus any unwelcome nosy parkering. He stood and stretched his limbs. So, it seems I have a distinguished visitor to my kingdom. And smiling warmly, he gave Ares a friendly biff on the shoulder. Welcome to the plains, and I insist you become a denizen of my court. With that settled, they set off for home. Ares felt extremely flattered, head held high. He trotted beside Leo, who padded along at an easy pace, leading them to a number of waterholes, each some distance apart. Your realm, uh, kingdom, seems mm, very expansive he remarked, wondering when they would reach Leo's court and what a court might look like. Expansive, exclaimed the lion, leaping onto a podium of rocks. My kingdom is infinite, he declared, with a majestic sweep of his paw, brimming with pride for his domain. Infinite, gasped Ares in complete awe. Then you must be king of the mountains, he said in excitement, hopping up beside him. "'Um, well, I, uh, no, I don't bother too much with the mountains, I have to confess. "'I prefer to leave those regions in the hands of the collective,' bluffed Leo, "'highly amused at the thought of being king of the mountains, "'laughing to himself at the various protests "'those of the collective realms might make about being deemed his subjects. "'He felt it would be a pity to spoil the illusion immediately.' "'It, um, uh, rains a good deal in those parts, "'and wet tangles my mane, don't you know?' "'He gave a haughty toss of his locks, his expression deadpan. Uh, tch, tch. "'How infinitely distressing,' grinned Ares, "'promptly cottoning on to Leo's bluff "'and realising how naive he'd been. Um, "'Speaking of wet, how far to the next waterhole?' Sunset across the plains was breathtaking. Flame-coloured rays emblazoned the landscape and tall grasses shimmered like a lake of fire under the orange sky. Night followed swiftly, turning the sky to pitch before it glittered with a host of stars that seemed close enough to touch. Leo was full of bounce and good humour, glad that he hadn't bagged Ares. They were fast-becoming friends, trading stories... Competing for laughs, with no fear of betrayal, Leo found it easy to talk about the burdens of his rulership. I appoint delegations across the plains to keep an eye on things, since I can't be everywhere at once. Trusted deputies lead these delegations and keep me informed, but I have to keep a close eye on their rank and file too. As well as open competition, there is often rogue infighting for these appointments and I find that the strong have most to fear from the weak among their allegiances for weakness covets strength. Those who least possess the prowess to lead can be the most ungracious in service so become the most disloyal. They eagerly seek to find flaws in their champion to fall upon him like a pack of jackals. He gave a low, rumbling growl. Those who lead can ill afford the luxury of any fault or imperfection of conduct. He was curious about the ram's realm and what kind of leadership was enacted there. Ares replied that he ruled only himself, saying again about his solitary existence in the crater, but stating that he felt quite able to command. "'Leadership requires a singleness of purpose, as with my quest to follow the sun,' he said." And so it was that they found themselves in accord about many things. The hour was late when they skirted the edge of a large pool, circled by tall palms. They stepped up to a plateau, rising behind the pool and standing proud of the surrounding landscape. "'Home, sweet home,' purred Leo. "'Shh, don't wake the ladies!' In silent collusion, they crept onto the plateau to enter an extremely spacious arbour under the gnarled, spreading boughs of long-established acacia trees. "Mm, So this is a court, thought Ares, impressed by the columns of trees and palatial feel of the space. Aha! Stop out, boomed Leo, heading straight to the larder for coal cuts. Ares started, thinking something was amiss. "'The ladies are out,' explained his host, "'no doubt at some gathering or other, "'enjoying a lavish dinner and making arrangements "'for the season's entertainments. "'They are very creative planners, "'especially when it comes to entertaining,' he chuckled. "'After his late-night snack, "'he showed Ares to a comfortable quarters "'at the rear of the arbour. "'Asleep well, my friend. "'I look forward to introducing you "'to my pride and joys in the morning.' and took his leave to lie under the foremost bough. Like Cancer, Leo had a strong sense of family loyalties and kinship. Ares was the first to wake in the household. He quietly stole past five sleeping lionesses to reach the edge of the plateau and look out over the magnificent plain. The white caps of the mountains gleamed in the morning light, while in the near distance was a horned skull bleached by the sun. He reflected dismally that Taurus, in particular, would be ill at ease with the diversity and drama in the realm of Leo, while the Gemini would find the contrast of the plains stimulating. He strolled down to the pool to eat a light breakfast and wait for his host to rise. At length, Leo joined him. The lionesses appeared later at intervals, each in her own time. Once he'd become better acquainted with Leone, Leonora, Lina, Leola, and Lila, he soon learned how playful and affectionate they were, making him feel as welcome as possible. But he also observed their queen-like quality, when they could be haughty, expecting their status to be recognised by those around them, desiring their whims and wishes to be met at all times. Also how they would vie for Leo's affection, competing to be his favourite of the day. The cool mornings were usually spent rehearsing hunt sequences, and he soon appreciated that the lionesses were very organised, as much in command of these dramatic routines as Leo himself, who, to everyone's satisfaction, preferred to sit back from the action and direct the proceedings. Timing, he'd roar. One more run and let's get it right. With only small dissent, they repeated their routine until Leo was satisfied their choreography was perfect. After the morning's rehearsals, come the heat of the afternoon, the company invariably retired to spend the rest of the day basking on the plateau and lolling around the pool. Oh, ''I adore the afternoons,'' purred Leone as she stretched and rolled in the grass, tickling Aries with her toes, their usual prompt for a play fight. Oh, later, came his sleepy response. He was dozing comfortably in the shade and knew only too well that tumbling with one meant tumbling with them all. Fair shares was a byword in the Leo household and it was far too hot for such exertions. Oh, later, huh, she pouted and with a hint of petulance switched her tail at his nose. Don't be rude, came his mock rebuke, one eye watching her sachet towards Leo. The ram wished he could purr. But despite all the tumbling and play-fighting, due to the talent and foresight of cancer, the pearl remained safe in its secret place. The Leos were generous, both in their hospitality and in their admiration and flattery of Ares, saying he was marvellous in wanting to follow the sun, although none wished to leave their realm to join him on his travels. ''Oh, there's so much excitement here. Why should we seek it elsewhere?'' they'd say. And he could see that they were right. Life in Leo's realm was dramatic and colourful. One bright, moonlit night, Ares had joined them on the hunt, but only as an observer to the action. The air was electric with excitement as the dramatic chase played through to its final closing scene and, as was their custom, Leo strode to the fore to claim the prize. After successful hunts, Leo often held court with parties and entertainments, On the grander occasions, all those attending wore elaborate costumes, masks and headdresses. Many emulated Leo by flaunting false manes, while Leo's ladies bedecked themselves in tiaras and necklaces of gold and fine jewels. And they adored crowning Ares for these glamorous events, stringing gold chains and jewels around his coiled horns till he sparkled as brightly as all the glitterati present. Leo, of course, never to be upstaged, wore the most luxuriant headdress of gems and plumage, an opulent testament to his authority. Ares now understood Cantor's comments about the realm being a political hotbed, becoming more aware of how ill-chosen or unfavourable words or actions could bring exclusion from Leo's court, or worse, banishment from the plains. For his own part, he felt favoured and relaxed in their midst, avoiding political comment where possible. After all, he was only passing through. At quieter times, when there was no hunting event or party to attend, the starry nights were spent chatting and storytelling by the pool, digesting the day's business and, of course, dinner. He'd spent many happy days with the Leos, but not even their sunny disposition and camaraderie could dispel his longing for fresh challenge. One morning, while watching routine rehearsals, his thoughts wandered towards the mountains, but more to the collective realms. He was enjoying life on the plains. It was challenging and fun, and he'd made many friends, for the Leos knew everyone. Everything Cancer had told him about the vitality of the realm he now knew to be true the vastness of the plains, Leo's prowess as sovereign of his realm. The realms of Taurus, Gemini and Cancer were more self-contained, those sovereigns being more solely concerned with their own daily business. Because of the variety of occupants on the plains, Leo's business embraced authority over others, which commanded a pride in leadership. Ares felt pleased with himself. He realised how much he'd learned since starting his quest – but he hadn't yet seen it all, hadn't met the collective, hadn't scaled the peaks or explored the mystery beyond the horizon. Loath though he was to leave his friends, his urge to follow the sun was greater. However, he had an inkling that his plan to move on might meet with resistance, that the Leos and his ladies might be displeased by his intention, since, as their friendship had deepened, Whenever he'd mentioned journeying to the peaks and meeting the collective, they had quickly changed the subject, avoiding discussion. So he'd given some thought to the manner of his farewell. He'd felt a fire of kinship with Leo that he wished to preserve. He couldn't just leave, as with Taurus, and recalling the good food, the wine and the music, the genuine concern of Taurus he felt a pang of conscience for just shooting off without so much as by your leave. So turned his thoughts to his farewell from the Gemini. (laughs) It was them that farewelled me, he chuckled. As reluctant as he was to look back, the memory of his flight with the stork always thrilled him, until that dreadful dousing. However, his experience with the Gemini had taught him a great deal about the power of words, which in turn had prompted him to thank Cancer eloquently for her kindness before departing, not wanting her to cry. He must be equally articulate now to express his sincerity to his host and decided a formal announcement would be best appreciated by the lion. It dawned on him that since the time he had journeyed through Cancer's realm, he'd become more intuitive to the thoughts and feelings of others. How in no man's land observing the politics of the plains, such skill meant survival. In Leo's realm, he was gaining equal concern about how others perceived him, and he wished to part on good terms. He knew Leo to be proud, and that if there was cause to believe his friendship and hospitality were being dishonoured, Ares would be banished to no man's land, or worse. But he must pursue his quest. Once rehearsals were finished, and the Leos had settled around the pool for their afternoon rest. He decided now was the time to put forward his intention to leave. Leave? Leo looked at his friend in profound disbelief. He adored having Ares around. They'd been having great times, and the ram's fiery nature had energised his own vitality, enhancing his skills of leadership. Preposterous, he growled, dismissing the notion. What Leo did not want, Leo did not accept. Taking a regal stance, he turned his back on the company and, switching his tail in agitation, gazed across the plains. The sun beat down as a light breeze swayed the flaxen grasses in a rippling dance. He was feeling much aggrieved that his friend wanted to depart at this point. He had been secretly planning a huge extravaganza, invites to all. He would bring the collective to Aries, saving his friend the need of an arduous journey, a grand surprise. Notices had already been sent to performers and the buzz of excitement was mounting. Now all would be ruined. He would have to cancel because his guest of honour, the very centrepiece of the occasion, had decided to leave. Apart from everything else, he would look foolish. And that, my dears, the king knew with great certainty could never, ever be countenanced. Seeing Leo's displeasure, the lionesses circle behind Ares. The ram stood his ground. He'd chosen his words with care and rehearsed them until he felt sure he'd got it right. Now all he had to do was deliver them. Clearing his throat... He waited for Leo to look him in the eye, as was their custom. But the lion remained steadfast, though stilled his tail. He was listening. Airy strengthened his posture and his resolve and spoke. My most noble friend, you have welcomed and accepted me as one of your own. None can be more honoured and grateful, I promise. My time on the plains has been more joyful, exciting and enlightening than I could have foreseen or wished for. I will always hold you in the highest esteem and with great affection. As you know, I have a goal and a passion burns within me to see it to completion. Reluctant as I am to leave the warmth of your company and all the splendour that is yours, I would be unworthy of your friendship if I failed to try to succeed in my endeavour. Tempting as it is to remain, it would be to exploit your generosity instead of honouring your fine example by being master of myself. The silence was palpable. The lionesses, barely breathing, stood still as statues, eyes and ears trained on Leo, poised to do his bidding. Their loyalty was absolute. Leo audibly inhaled, and slowly turned to face Ares. This was a problematic and sensitive situation that called for diplomatic handling. He must remain in charge, contain his disappointment and anger, and find some way to forestall his friend in some way until after the planned extravaganza. He would approach this carefully, step by step, thrusting his chin forward and exhaling slowly He brought his gaze level with the ram. Not forgetting, of course, your important business with the collective, my dear. Ares gave a short, respectful nod. Of course, he replied, feeling great relief that the lion had accepted his words and his mission. Then he dropped the bombshell. I'll leave immediately. But on turning to speed away, the lioness's closed ranks with lightning speed blocking his exit. Just one moment, Ares it was Leone speaking in her most persuasive tone. We respect your wishes, naturally. But you must not be in such a hurry. You cannot just Leave immediately, like some scalded cat. (laughs) Why, many would suppose you have displeased our king. You would not survive a day on the plains. She lowered her eyes to veil the threat, and moving towards Leo, continued. As you so rightly say, you have been accepted as one of our own. Your departure from this realm must, therefore be such as befits our kin. Anything less would bring us dishonour. And now a plea to his integrity? Ares wondered where this was going. Lovely as she was, Leone could be temperamental. Feeling uncomfortably out of his depth, he cleared his throat again. Well, naturally, I I do not wish to bring you dishonour, but I'm not quite sure what you mean by uh, befit your kin. She was now whispering in Leo's ear, who smiled broadly in response. Of course, you are absolutely right, Leone, and thank you, my dearest dear. Leone rejoined her sisters and began conferring quietly with them. Forgive me, Ares, began Leo, beaming. Befits our kin means in royal style, Uh, but your sudden announcement almost caused me to overlook it. (laughs) As is befitting, I must and will personally accompany you as far as the last waterhole near the edge of the cornfields. It would be expected of me. Uh, yes, the plains can be very inhospitable when one travels alone, stated Lila, a meaningful look in her eye. And we would all be happier to know that you have safely reached the realm of Virgo, supported Lena. But now we must be getting on. There's a lot to manage and arrange, added Leola, smiling. Yes, we have preparations to make for your royal departure, which would be best, we have all agreed, to be the day after tomorrow affirmed Leonora in a friendly but businesslike tone. They took their leave, laughing and talking happily together. Ares watched, bemused, as they sauntered away. "'Great speech, my dear,' grinned Leo, settling to take his nap. He had won the day. Ares accepted that he shouldn't leave immediately and felt more than happy with their plan. He would have the pleasure of their company a little longer, yet be moving on. This, of course, had been Leone's ploy. She knew it would better please Leo to spend more time with his friend, to get accustomed to the idea that Ares was leaving, but also that the extravaganza could still take place. No listed performers would have to be disappointed and, with a little adjustment to the proceedings, even greater excitement would be generated by the changes. Having Ares among them had certainly fueled their imagination and expanded their ideas when planning functions. Furthermore, since invites to the collective had not yet been sent, their presence would not be expected, nor, more importantly, missed. In this way, Leo would suffer no loss of face on the plains. His ladies knew only too well that their king sometimes needed managing. If Ares had taken off in a hurry, as was his first intention, Leo's disappointment could have swept him into a rage. And who knows what fate for the ram then? my dears. Intrigues and Mystery While Aries had been enjoying the hospitality of the Leos, the Gemini had received a surprise visit from Cancer. She had recently dropped in on them, giving them quite a fright, to thank them for their kind thoughts regarding the pearl and to find out more about its origins. On realising the gem must have been brought to the forest, perhaps stolen and most probably by the shrike, but definitely not from her own collection, Cancer felt strongly that the collective should be told about it and prompted them to send for the eagle, It was decided that rather than use the community messengers, they would wait the while until the stork came by again and send her with the message. There were still troubles with communications and Council thought that despite the wait, it would be safer to follow her feeling that secrecy in the matter was important. And so it was that when stork came by, she agreed to take their summons to Scorpio. The Shrike had quickly got wind of the eagle's arrival in the forest and, remaining undercover, crept as close as possible to try to overhear what was being discussed. It feared the eagle. Medalthamati! The last time she had visited these regions was just before the onset of that storm, when the lightning had split its tree in two. That both Cancer and the eagle were now present indicated something of great importance was on the agenda. The company was speaking in hushed tones and it was difficult for the Shrike to make out exactly what was being said, except that the name of Ares was joined with mention of the Black Pearl. However, it correctly deduced that the Gemini had found its treasure and, not realising its importance, had, foolishly, given it to Ares, and were now just as foolishly reporting their actions to the eagle. Oh, curses, curses, and more curses. But whatever gaps in their report it had missed, or misunderstood, it definitely knew it must locate the ram to retrieve the pearl. However, the knowledge that Scorpio had now become involved threatened to ruin its plans. Oh, meddlesome scheming Scorpio! Scorpio! Frustrated and angry, it had to wait until the cover of night to steal away and would gather intelligence regarding Ares' whereabouts as it travelled. It knew the harvest time was approaching and all birds would be flocking there soon. I'll make for the harvest tonight. Get there before time. Bound to gain youth from some gothapy scatterbird on the way. After hearing all there was to say, the eagle took her leave she did not disclose her own knowledge about the origin and purpose of the pearl, but swore the twins to continued secrecy about their find. It was vital. A secret whispered is a secret out, she warned. In the forest, leaves have ears. The Gemini understood and accepted that they were to do nothing further until they heard again from the collective. Eagle must now hurry back to Scorpio and would look for sight of Ares on the plains, hoping he had survived the dangers of no man's land. Cancer, having thoroughly enjoyed her extended time with her neighbours, gleaning many treasures from their woodland streams, decided to return home on the swift wings of the eagle. She'd left the Gemini with a stack of tea cakes and her gift of a crystal for Taurus, which they promised faithfully to deliver on her behalf. They had so much to tell Taurus now that they had to make time to visit. Once airborne, knowing they couldn't possibly be overheard, Cancer asked the eagle to tell more about the pearl. The eagle consented, knowing the crab would be discretion itself. Cancer thanked her profoundly. Now she understood the terrible dream she'd had, but more important, that in letting the pearl go, she had done the right thing. If she had kept it as a gift, its whereabouts may not have come to light and a terrible tragedy would have resulted. Unknown to the Shrike, there was one tiny creature who'd been keeping a close watch on its movements and had overheard its plan to head for the cornfields of Virgo. This was the mouse who had first found the pearl in his nest. Soon after his unusual find... He became aware of the Shrike's presence in hiding nearby and stayed undercover in fear of his life. He heard the Shrike muttering about its secret and its black treasure as it hacked at the undergrowth, searching in vain. The Shrike always made the mistake of muttering aloud and was not nearly so silently crafty as it thought itself to be. From such runtings, the mouse quickly realised the treasure the Shrike was looking for was the black gem. He also knew that if that evil bird spotted him and had the slightest suspicion he had found its secret, he would be tortured until he told all and then killed. Once sure the villain had vacated the scene, he made haste to find the twins to tell them his story. It was late evening and a couple of days after the Shrike's departure before the mouse caught up with them. Horrified to learn that the Shrike was still alive, and definitely the thief of the pearl, the twins realised that it was now in pursuit of its treasure. They must urgently get word to the collective realms of Ares and the pearl were to remain safe. The Shrike was extremely wily, and there was no knowing what trap it might put in place to catch Ares, and what cruelty it would mete out on his capture. They devised a bird song containing a code which could only be deciphered by the eagle herself. The song was so tuneful, it quickly became popular with the bird communities who were flocking together at this time, making preparations for their customary migration to Virgo's cornfields. The twins could do no more and would be quite jittery until they learned of an outcome. The mouse was now free to join his cousins, who lived in a particularly pretty part of the woodland scene.
0: Thank you, Marion, for reading the Leo chapter of Follow the Sun. So why is Leo a flamboyant leader in your story?
1: Well, the sun rules Leo, and the sun is our life force. And Leo's a fixed sign, hence he's autocratic. He does things his own way and no one else's. It's associated with the metal gold kingship and positions of authority, hence the politics and glamour of the realm, as well as leadership. We associate Leo with drama, with showmanship, and being another fire sign, Aries finds his own vitality is more akin to Leo, enjoying his companionship more than with the Taurus, Gemini or Cancer. And the qualities he's gathered from his experience in those realms, he's now able to put into practice in Leo's realm, assuring himself that he is maturing and gaining knowledge of his world. After Leo, as I've said, comes Virgo, the sixth sign and the pivotal point of the zodiac. And here the the cause and the course of his journey will change.
0: Yes, I'm looking forward to that. So both Aries and Leo are fire signs. That's the same element. And in astrological terms, these signs would form what's known as a trine. Tell us about trines and what significance they have in our horoscopes.
1: Yeah, well, where I said a square is 90 degrees of the circle, a trine is 120 degrees of the circle and is formed by planets placed in signs of the same element. There are three signs in each element of fire, earth, air and water and these are known as the triplicities. When planets placed in all three are connected or aspected in this way in a chart, they form what's known as a grand trine And because we're dealing with the same element, it signifies an easy flow or expression of energies by those planets involved in the trine aspect. Though, let's say, you know, too much ease can signify an expectation of success in life through others rather than through personal effort, as with the square. Um, A good analogy on this, I think, is the tale of the tortoise and the hare, where, of course, the hare has all the innate advantages to win the race, but rests on his laurels, and loses.
0: <laughs> so too many good things can make you a bit complacent.
1: They they can all you, you take things for granted rather sometimes. You
0: know that's again why squares are good. Okay, so no matter what element a person's sign is, as with the squares, they can have trines in different elements.
1: Yes, that's true. So if you've got a, a, a trine in. A, the fire trine for instance and all the fire signs these signify an enthusiasm and a strong appetite for life it's, uh, it's with aspiring people who actually burn with excitement and are of an ardent passion they can tend to be impatient with those who are gentler in nature thinking them slow or damping now, and fire feels that water will douse it earth will smother it but that air will fan its flames
0: Ah, I see.
1: And uh, and then, you know, you've got an earth shrine, for instance, in the, in, the, in the chart, and they signify a strong sense of literally being down to earth. They're solid and dependable, practical, and usually financially astute. Uh, they take care of the small matters that make the whole, but can tend to be dubious about more lively and agile-minded people, thinking them disturbing or trivial. Earth feels that air will dry it, fire will scorch it, but water will refresh it. And the air signs, prominent in a chart, can signify, uh, it stresses communication and those who like to connect uh, verbally or written. People with an air trine are inclined to reasoning and towards intellectual pursuits and working in the realm of ideas. They're unimpressed by extreme prudence or sensitivity in others. And with too much air, One can lack emotion, maybe spend too much time in the world of schemes and ideas. Air feels that its light flow could be trapped underground by earth, its freedom saturated by water, though it enjoys the leaping response of fire. And lastly, when a water trines are prominent in the chart, there is much fluidity, as it suggests, literally, and this can signify a distrust of self, with the need of someone to reflect, for their fluidity to be shaped by someone else. Uh, A rushing torrent can be overwhelming and destructive, yet water takes the shape of of its container. It has a great carrying power and force, if properly contained and channeled, you know, as exemplified in the fixed sign of Scorpio. A naturally sensitive, Strongly, water types carry much intuition and inspiration, expressed in the rhythms of art, poetry, music, dancing, but they can be unstable too, and, you know, far too impressionable and sensitive to influence. Water feels that fire will make it boil, air will make it evaporate, but that earth will
0: contain it. I love the way you talk about the elements. It's so full of metaphor and symbolism. You really get the idea of it when you think of it like the that. The feeling of it, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's my sun water. <laughs> ah, I see. Thank you, Marion. Thanks, Pommy. You've been listening to the latest podcast in the series Follow the Sun. Look out for our next one, where Marion Mente will be taking us into the sixth sign of Virgo. This is a story based on the sequence of the Zodiacs and make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pommie Harmer, and this was a Black Pearl production.